All righty. Hello. How are we doing this morning? Good? Doing all right? I can tell you that with everything that's going on right now, I am so happy to be with the people of God and gathering together. Uh, yeah, so I'm super happy to be here. Um, plus, it's Advent season, right? Advent season. Can you hear me better? Is that better? Okay. Advent season. I love Advent season. I'm super happy to be here to gather with you for Advent season. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Do we have Christmas favorite holiday people out here more? Okay, great. There's like almost all of you. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Um, me and my wonderful wife are getting to celebrate our very first Christmas together as a married couple. Yes, you can clap. It's very exciting. We're very, very happy about that. So we got to go all out. You know, it's the first one. And so we, we go out and we got to get a tree. We got to get a real tree, right? And I got to decorate it with lights and everything. I got to do it right because I have a very rich Christmas family tradition. I'm talking every year my grandma would give a give us an ornament to hang on the tree. So we're talking her children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren now. You can imagine how big of a tree we needed to put all those ornaments on. So I'm about 31. I have roughly, you know, 30-something ornaments. And, and I'm just one of a, I have a very large family. So you can imagine how big of a tree we would need. So every year, we gather as a family, and we go pick out a tree from a tree farm. Yeah, this is not like, I'm not talking about like no Home Depot, Lowe's, Mr. Jingles, you know. I'm talking about a, like a real farm where they grow like trees, like, like real trees, and you got to cut them down, you know. Has anyone ever been to one of those? Okay, we have some. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, cool. So I'm not alone. Um, so we, we, we go and, and we would, this tree was getting so big that we literally started setting up our Christmas tree in the backyard. <laughs> it was too big to fit in the house. We, we couldn't fit in the door. We couldn't fit it in the house. There's so many ornaments on this tree, right? So I remember one year we did this at my uncle's. We could barely get the tree in the backyard. <laughs> We had like eight guys trying to pull this tree in the backyard, this 20-plus foot tree, trying to get this in the backyard. We couldn't fit it through the dang side gate. And so we had like three of us that went on the inside of the gate, and we had to like tie ropes to ourselves, like, you know, ancient, I don't know, Egyptians or something. And we were tying ropes, and we're tying it to the tree, and there's like three of us that are on the inside trying to pull it in while the rest are just kind of kicking it from the back, you know. And I'm surprised we got it in without tearing down the whole dang fence. But we eventually got it in the backyard, and you can imagine what it was like setting it up with ladders, of course. But at night, we would light it up, and we'd sing Christmas carols around it. And boy, was it a sight to see. It was beautiful. You know, it's absolutely fascinating to discover how the practice of putting lights on a tree came about. During the winter months, during winter solstice, the darkest time of the year, the ancients would take these evergreen trees, right? They're not deciduous. Their leaves don't drop. They don't look dead in the middle of winter. They would bring them and they would decorate their houses with them. 
And somewhere along the line, Christians adopted this and were the first to bring on full trees into their house. And it's actually accredited to Martin Luther of all, the reformer, as being the first to put lights on a tree. Now, they didn't have electricity back then, so it was candles. He would, he would uh, put candles on a tree. That's talk about a fire hazard. I'm glad that we have you know, lights now, but he was the f- accredited the first of putting candles on a tree, and then he would blow them out just a few short seconds later. We don't want the house burning down. But on the darkest day of the year, faithful Christians would light candles on a tree for a few short seconds. And do you know what they had in mind when they did this? It's exactly what we're going to look at today in John chapter 8, Jesus' declaration. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here we are hundreds of years later, in a very dark season, literally winter, metaphorically. We're reminded today that Jesus is the light that came into the world. With him we no longer have to live in darkness. We don't have to fear the darkness around us, but we have peace because of him. So this morning, we're going to focus on three main facets of Jesus' self-declaration. Jesus, one, is the source of life. Jesus, two, is the revelation of God. And Jesus, three, restores us to the fullness of life. I'm going to read John 8. If you want to flip there in your Bible or in your um, phone, John chapter 8, verse 12 is where we'll be starting today. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You did not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I've heard from him, this is what I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. 
So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Light, darkness, words rich with biblical freight. See, everything in this passage is to be seen in light of Jesus' self-declaration. Yes, pun intended. The motif of light and darkness goes back to the beginning when darkness was over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. John opens his gospel echoing this very creation account. He says that the very spoken word of God was Jesus Christ. The word that was breathed out, the word that said, let there be, that was breathed out of God from the closest place to his heart, the word that carries all the power and authority of God because God never lies. His word is always congruent with his character. That word was Jesus. Yeah, this is John's stab at the Trinity. (laughs) Kind of crazy. But don't miss this. As John and the rest of the New Testament writers unanimously agree, Jesus was the triune God's creative agent. Jesus was the creator. That means when God said, let there be light, Jesus was the one who created the light. He created the sun. He created the moon. He created the stars. He's the source of light. All light is derivative from him and all light reflects him. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's he's the source of it. It's like you can almost take it literally. Now, when I think of light, like when I think of the sun, for example, I think of life. I don't know what the first thing you think of, but for me, it's life. If if I weren't a a Christian, I'd probably be a sun worshiper because I think I'm going to get cancer or something because I love the sun. The sun brings me life. When I look for where I'm going to live, I have to have windows in certain places in my house so that the sun comes in because the sun gives me life. It makes me alive. And without it, I wither and I die. And winter's not my favorite season. I love the summer. You get the point. Nothing survives without the sun, right? Without the sun, we wouldn't be alive on this planet. The sun is what makes life possible. And that's the first point. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, whoever follows him will have the light of life. He is saying that he is the source of life. He is the source of life. Creation, like I said, reflects his nature. The sun that makes life possible reflects that Jesus is the true light that gives life. The bread and the food that we have that sustain life reflects that Jesus is the true bread of life that sustains our soul. In union with God in the garden, humanity was alive in the fullest sense of the word. They had physical sustenance from God's creation and spiritual sustenance in a relationship with God. But you know how the story goes. There was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat from it. For the day you eat from it, you will surely, 
you will surely die. And then along comes this snake, right, to tempt them. And he says, you won't die, but if you eat from it, you'll be enlightened, right? Remember what the scripture says? Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You won't need to rely on him anymore. So they ate the fruit. And did the sun quit shining? Did the trees wither? Did their bodies collapse? Did they die? Not physically, but sin and death and darkness entered the world and they were severed from the light. They were severed from the true source of life himself. Sure, their biology was still ticking, but inside they were hollow. Inside they were dead, lost and wandering through a shadowy existence. And when we look around us today, it's not hard to see that there's a lot of people that are still there today, hollow and empty on the inside. We're living in some dark times. I mean, some downright shady times right now. But I don't want us to miss this in the splendor of Advent season. The light shone into the world that whoever follows him, whoever would not walk in darkness anymore. And at this, we see the second point of what Jesus is getting at when he says, I'm the light of the world. See, light isn't just a, um, light isn't just a source of life, but light illuminates, it reveals what was hidden or what was darkened. So when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he, he means I came to reveal God the source of life itself in all of its fullness so that we could be reunited with him. In short, Jesus is the self-revelation of God. When he says he's the light of the world, he means I'm the self-revelation of God. And we see that over and over in this passage and um, really this entire book. It's a key theme of this book, Jesus says in this passage. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Jesus is claiming to be heaven's message, heaven's revelation, the word, the light. He claims that everything he does is in direct reflection of the Father. He said, I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And the, and the Pharisees, they question him in their fashion, right? Where is your Father? Jesus responded, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father because I'm the revelation of the Father. Jesus is claiming to be the revelation of the Father. Or to keep it simple for us, when you look at Jesus, you see God. Jesus is the revelation of God. That's the second aspect. And that's what I want us to remember again in this Advent season. That's the wonder of what we celebrate. Jesus is the incarnate revelation of God. God in the flesh coming to the world to restore a relationship with himself. That we might have this abundant, exuberant life. And that leads to the last point. Jesus is getting at. He's not just saying that he's the source of life, that he's the revelation of God, but that he alone can restore the fullness of life that was lost in the garden. 
Jesus alone brings true salvation. This is the traditional wording, salvation. John likes to use eternal life, that fullness of life. That's kind of what I'm describing. I wanted to use enlightenment to keep with the theme, but I was reminded by our wonderful teaching team that that could easily be uh, misunderstood. So we're not going to use that one. We're going to talk about eternal life, salvation, the fullness of life. Um, Regardless, Jesus came to bring this. Only he alone uh, brings true salvation. Hold on a minute. That is running away from me. All right. But what I love is this this life is holistic. This eternal life is holistic. It's not just the salvation of our soul, our soul and assurance of heaven. It's a vibrant personal relationship with the living God that we came here to experience today. The phrase, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That last bit there, will have the light of life, can be interpreted in many ways. It can be understood as the light which is life. It can be understood the light that gives life or the life-giving light. It can also be seen as the light that illuminates life, like life's path, life's journey, the life that we're living, the light that illuminates it. And most probably, Jesus meant all of these. Jesus came to make us alive, to give us abundant life, and to be the light for us through this world, through our journey here. The life Jesus came to restore is holistic. Jesus is truly everything we need through this life. He's the light for our path. He's the light at the end of the tunnel. See, Jesus gives the reference point. The reference point for our life, for our life story. After he made this great declaration to the Pharisees, they challenged him as it being invalid. But I love what he says in verse 14. I love this. It sticks out to me. He says, even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea the beginning from the end. You have no idea origin or destiny. See, apart from the revelation of Christ, we have No way of understanding the meaning of life or how to live it. Absolutely none. Apart from Christ, we are, in that sense, hopelessly lost. There's no way for us to figure out how we got here. We've been trying to figure this out for thousands of years. And I guess we're just settled on a a bang or something like that. We have no way of understanding how we got here and where we're going. Absolutely none. We don't know the beginning of the story or the end of the story. We don't know our origin or our destiny. We're merely meandering through existence with no reference point for how life is to be lived. When Jesus is challenged, he says, no, what I'm saying is true. I am the truth. I am the light of the world because I do know where I came from and where I'm going. 
I do know the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the first and the last. I am he. And as followers of Christ, we're not in the dark about this anymore either. I, I, I often forget this because I'm so used to following Jesus now, this decade um, of my life. But I can't explain the first time I realized that when I died, my body would just not decay in a corpse, uh, would, would decay in a grave somewhere. But there was something more. It changed the way I lived because I had a reference point now. I knew where I came from. I knew where I was going. I could draw a beeline of how to live life. And I knew if I deviated, I was enlightened. Jesus reveals through Christ, he reveals where we came from. Not only that, he's the light at the end of the tunnel. And through this journey, he's the lamp for our feet every single step of the way. Not only is he the light for our pathway, he's the abundant, life-giving light. He's all the enlightenment we need. He tells the Pharisees in verse 21, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. See, the idea that Jesus is getting at is he would soon be ascending back to his father. And these Jews, these Jews who truly wanted the Messiah, these um, Pharisees, hello, bus. These, uh, I'll just preach the gospel to you guys too. Um, Jesus loves you. Uh, the Jews who truly wanted the Messiah, right? They, were act they really wanted the Messiah to come. They're under Roman occupation. They're truly looking for this Messiah. Um, they would keep looking for him, not realizing that they had actually already rejected him. And they would die having never found what they're looking for. Isn't that a sad predicament? Dying having never found what you're truly looking for. No, and, and, he, and it's there all along. I remember I had this dream once, and it was so vivid that I wrote it down. But I lost my backpack. And this backpack in my dream obviously symbolized for me my dreams, my ambitions, my plans, um, my desires that I had in life. And I was searching everywhere for this backpack. And finally, I came to the last room of this building that I had been looking for this backpack for so long. And I still didn't find it. And as I looked in that room, there was this trap door. There was a, an escape hatch, if you will, and I opened it, and I looked out and I realized that there was this vast new world outside. It was rather intimidating standing there at the ledge, looking out into this vast new world. I was, I was overwhelmed. I was intimidated. Um, if I went out, everything would, everything would be new. Everything would be vast. Everything was unknown. And I felt that's where God was calling me. But that pull, that pull to go back and keep looking for my backpack, 
that thing that had defined so much of my life for so long, the things I was looking for and desiring, the plans I had, that pull to just go back to the safety I knew of me and my backpack was so strong. Thankfully, I eventually went out into this new world that God had for me. But I want to ask you, where are you searching for salvation? What desires are you searching for to satisfy your life? What Messiah are we looking to to truly fill that void in our heart? I know for me, often it's knowledge that I look for for enlightenment. I just feel like such an idiot. I'm just like, man, if I could just read 50 more books right now, then I'd be so much smarter and cooler and everyone would like me because I'm so stupid. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe it's a better sense of financial security. If I could just make it to that next pay grade, then I can take a deep breath. And I won't have to worry about that anymore. Maybe it's that house you've been waiting to buy. If I could just have that little piece of something that was mine, that perfect ministry or job opportunity that just to just fall in your lap, or maybe it's that relationship that you think would just be the capstone, right? I want to encourage us, let us not be like the Pharisees who went on searching to their grave, rejecting the very thing they were looking for. Jesus is the life-giving light. He's the life-giving light. He illuminates us. He animates us. He invigorates us. There's nothing more we could spend our life following after than the light of the world. And that's why he says, whoever follows me, whoever follows me will have the light of life. See, it's not just about belief. It's not just about confession. It's a commitment It's a commitment to follow after Jesus as your sole satisfaction. The only one who truly brightens your eyes, who brightens your day. As we close, at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus demonstrates supremely that he is the light, that he is the source of life for us, that he's the clearest revelation of God, and that he's the fulfillment of our greatest desires and need. Jesus ends this current dispute in one final word in verse 28. He says, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, then you will know, then you'll know that I am he. The clearest revelation. What does he mean by I am he? Well, he says in this very verse, verse, he, uh, he says that he speaks just what the Father taught him to speak. He speaks the word of God, um, that he's united to the Father. He's not alone. Uh, he does what, the fa- what pleases the Father. In short, he speaks and does the words and actions of God because he is God. 
And I'm sure Dan will share about this more next week. But when he says that I am he, that's an echo of God's own personal name in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses goes and asks him, God, what's your name? He says, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel that I am sent you. And in, in the Greek literally here, Jesus says, then you will know that I am. He's echoing that very same thing. So when Jesus says, you'll lift, when you lift me up, you'll know that I am, that I am he. He's saying, you'll know I'm the light of the world. I'm the source of life, the revelation of the triune God. The one who comes to bring you the fullness of life because I'm the God who loves you. When Jesus was lifted up on that cross, he revealed the heart of God for the world. That even though since the fruit snapped, there's been darkness, there's been death, there's been sin, God did not abandon his people. God came into the world to expel the darkness and bring the fullness of life. He blazed so brightly at his coming that people were vexed. We hid in darkness. And as Dan said last week, we hated him because he was such an irritant to our eyes. He was an eyesore. He's blinding. He was exposing our darkness. And so finally in our attempt, we, we nailed him to the cross to try to extinguish this flame. And on the darkest day of history, the Bible actually says darkness came over all of the land. Jesus absorbed all the weight of the world's sin and death and darkness until his flickering light was overcome and snuffed out. Can you imagine that the light of the world carried such a burden of darkness that his flickering flame was snuffed out? For you and I, and for a brief moment, it appeared that all hope was lost. We would forever be wandering in the darkness, searching for some Messiah to fill us, to fill our hearts with life until the day of our death. But from the distance, what does the Bible say? You could hear the earthquake. This seismic event would not occur without some aftershock. <laughs> and like a supernova, right? You know what a supernova is? I had to recently look it up again. Like a supernova, the shining star, not just of the world, of the universe, the source of light and life himself, the shining star of the cosmos in this supernova explosion just collapse, spreads light, scatters light throughout all of the world. He rose from the dead, shining the light of life on all. Who looked to him. Through the cross and the resurrection, we see the love of God for a lost and dark world. We experience our greatest desires met in a reunited relationship with God, and our hearts beam with eternal life. And as his illuminated people, Jesus now sends us out as the lights of the world. And that's our job here this Christmas. That's our job this Advent, to shine 
as the lights of the world in this dark time until the day he returns to be with us. And then, as it says in Revelation 21, heaven will come to earth and there will be no sun anymore. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamp, the, the lamb will be its lamp. So during this Advent, when we decorate and we see lights around town, may we remember what it's all about. That Jesus is the light of the world. That whoever follows him would not have to walk in darkness anymore, but will have the light of life. And may in this dark time, this shady time, may we not be afraid.